from 1st Timothy chapter 6 verses 3 through 10. Please stand. First Timothy chapter 6 verses 3 through 10. If any man teaches otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strive of words. Wherefore come cometh envy, strive, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputing of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw them thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and partition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some covet after, they have err from the faith, and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Series in First Timothy, and so this is a great passage of scripture for young people, I believe. So God just ordained us to be in this passage today. I'm not speaking on this passage because it's Youth Sunday. I'm speaking on this passage because I'm doing a series in Timothy, but I'm going to make some application to some of the great challenges our young people are going to be having. And the challenges of young people are the challenges of parents as well. So I would like to begin this message, and I'm entitling the message, Deliverance from False Teachers or the False Teachings of these false teachers. And the first question I really want to ask is, to, of our young people, is do you want to live spiritually healthy lives? In this first verse, and if you could read that verse with me, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3, it says, And they that have believed, I'm sorry, verse uh, 3, If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words... Even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ into the doctrine which is according to godliness. And that word wholesome literally speaks of being healthy. We get our word hygiene from that Greek word. Now I remember when I was young, it was a landmark moment in my life when my mother said, Matthew, you're getting older and you smell. <laughs> and you have to start using deodorant. It's like, what's that? So she showed me deodorant. And she said, and you have to start taking a shower every day. I'm like, what? <laughs> and, she said, and so my parents taught me good hygiene to be clean. So I didn't stink and have bad breath. Hopefully I don't. I don't know. You tell me if I do. If I have bad breath, you can always say, Pastor, you, your breath's really not good today. And then you get, just give me a piece of gum. But you know, when you have... When you have bad hygiene, you turn people off. But in the spiritual sense, the Lord wants us to be healthy. 
and not turn people off spiritually and to be strong in the Lord. And so this message today is to challenge all of us, but especially our young people, to learn the words of the Lord Jesus, like He says here, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a very powerful statement. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ are what we need to live healthy, wholesome, satisfying lives. To learn those words, to love those words, to, li- to live out these words of Jesus Christ. And this is the best way, the best way to guard yourself against all the false teachings of culture is to learn, love, and live the words of Jesus Christ. So let's pray as we begin. So Father, please take this time and we do pray that You would challenge our young people to learn, to love, to live Your words, Lord Jesus, and to be guarded against all the falsehood that they are facing and will continue to face throughout their lives. May even these young men from the school visiting, graduating, going off into college, bless each of these young men today and give them great direction and wisdom in their lives. We pray for our young people in this city and in our, in our nation facing tremendous challenges never faced by previous generations. So give grace to the parents to teach. Give grace to the young people to hold on to You, Jesus Christ. Because Your Word is true. Your Word is faithful. And we praise You in Jesus' name. Amen. So I do want to challenge you to learn and to love and to live out the words of Jesus Christ as the best way to safeguard yourself against the falsehood of our culture. And if you even go back to chapter 4, what Paul even said there is similar where he said in chapter 4, verse 6, he says, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. These things are the Word of God. Not our own opinions, but God's Word. Nursed up in the words, the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. So, we need the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are our words of faith. These are our words of good doctrine. In chapter 6, verse 3, he says, These words are the key to sound doctrine, and which is according to godliness, because you cannot live a godly life if you do not believe right. Ultimately, our behavior comes out of our beliefs. So, we, we need the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And just two things real quick as we begin to challenge you is this is going to take tremendous courage. It was going to take courage for Timothy. It's going to take courage for you young people to stand up for the words of our Lord Jesus Christ today. You're going to be in the minority. And Timothy was in the minority. And these false teachings that Paul is warning Timothy about here were coming through the church. And so the false teachings that are permeating our society are going to be embraced by a lot of denominations in America. They're not going to stand against the foolishness of men today. We have to be aware of that. There will be a lot of churches that will embrace false teachings. You will be in the minority. It will take courage for you to stand 
Second Timothy chapter four, verse number three, he even says that people will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Heap. You know what that is? Is that a little or a lot? <laughs> a heap of them. They're going to heap on TikTok and Facebook and Instagram. And you know, they heap all their false teachers, all the people they're listening to. They're listening to all these words. I say, do what Paul says here. Take heed and learn and love and live the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the words of our Lord Jesus Christ are the, is the Bible. It's the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. His name is the Word of God. When I speak of the words of Jesus, I'm not just talking about the words in red. The words that are not in red are just as much the words of Jesus as the words in red. People are heaping to themselves all kind of false teachers. It's going to take constancy, continuance. Take heed to yourself. What it, that's what Paul told Timothy back in chapter 4, verse 16. Take heed to yourself. Be constant. Be continuous. Don't give up. Don't give in. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. The doctrine is important. The teachings about Jesus Christ. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died and shed His blood on the cross once and for all. He bodily rose again. He's coming again. Take heed to the doctrine. Take heed to yourself and continue in them. You're going to have to abide in Him. I like what Peter said. Remember what he said? A lot of people were leaving Jesus. Jesus said, Peter, are you going to go away too? Peter said, to who shall we go? You alone have what? The, the words. The words of eternal life. Only Jesus Christ has the words of eternal life. Young people, growing up and living a godly life has never been easy. It's never been easy. Every culture faces their own challenges. Unique challenges. And you have some unique challenges. And it's not going to be easy for you to live for Jesus Christ. But it's the right thing for you to do. To love and live Jesus Christ. This world system has Satan as its head still. Lust and pride are its fixtures. And this system wants to indoctrinate our young people. They want to twist their minds away from the Word of God into their falseness, into their deviousness. And we're going to talk about it. Now look at this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6, again, verse 3. There's a word here, and it's teach otherwise. You see that? It says, if any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words. Now, have you ever, did you, how many of you needed some teeth straightening in your life? And you got these things called braces. I was so blessed growing up. I had braces twice because my teeth were so bad. So I went to a heterodontist. You know what a heterodontist? Did you go to the heterodontist? No. Who'd you go to? You went to an orthodontist. An orthodontist. Why did, why, what's the difference between an ortho? What does an orthodontist mean? Ortho means what? Straight. So there's a word called orthodox. It means straight teaching. Orthodox. He's, so we, we hear that. Some churches say it's an orthodox church. Well, the word orthodox means straight teaching. This word in verse 3, if any man teach otherwise, is a heterodox. They're teaching other things other than what? 
the words of Jesus Christ. So if you take the, these other teachings, it's going to be like you're going to go through life with really crooked teeth. Spiritually speaking, doctrinally speaking, you won't be straight. You don't want to go to a heterodontist. And the same, the same reason, you do not want to learn heterodoxical teachings, other teachings that are not in the Bible. That's what's being taught today. Other teachings. Now, what's amazing to me about the Word of God, and I, the more I study and read the Bible, I'm more convinced than ever, it's the Word of God. Don't doubt the Bible. Here's a miracle about even this passage of Scripture is that Paul is talking to Timothy about a specific heresy that was going on in Ephesus in the first century. And I could talk about that to you and you probably like, it doesn't really matter because that's not what's being taught today. And it's interesting what they were teaching, but I'm not going to tell you what the heresy was going on in Ephesus. What I think is amazing about the Bible is Paul was talking about a particular heresy going on there in the first century. And I could take the very same principles and and take what Paul is saying and apply them to the false teachings going on today, and and it, it applies. So Paul is giving Timothy, in a sense, principles of how to beware of and be delivered from these false teachings and their false teachers. And these principles are good for whatever generation you're alive in. That's that's the miracle about the Bible. Isn't that amazing about the Bible? Is that it transcends culture. You could take these principles and teach them in Africa. You could take take these principles and teach them in South America. And you could take them to the Far East and Europe, wherever, and teach the principles of false teachers from this, and it will apply to whatever false teaching is permeating that culture. That's the amazing thing about the Bible. Okay, so let's look at it quickly here today. One, we see the character of false teachers. The first thing about their character is in verse 4. What is the first three words there? He is what? They're proud. Now, there are a lot of different kind of false teachers throughout time. And there are a lot even today. There's what we could call word of faith preachers preaching, you know, if you just name it, claim it, prosperity gospel preachers. There are cults like Jehovah Witnesses. I would say to you, Charles Taze Russell, who started the Jehovah Witnesses, was a proud man. Joseph Smith, who started the Mormon church, he was a proud man. Muhammad, who started Islam, he was a proud man. They did not have the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we can take this and apply it to any cult, false religion. If they don't have the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, they're saying their words are better than whose? Than Jesus' words. They're proud. And this is a permanent fixed pride. It's a decision they made and they're going to stick to it. And today our culture will tell you as if they know for certain there is no God. As if they know there's no, they're proud. Or they say, the Bible's not true, it's filled with errors and contradictions. Well, they say it as if it's true, but they're proud. It's their fixed attitude, they're conceited. There's a, there's a sense that they are superior to you. 
They are so, they, this world will come at you like they know what's right and I am superior to you. You listen to me. And if they don't come to you with the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, well, Paul will tell us what to do and that is separate from them. They're proud. Not only are they arrogant, but it says they know nothing. And so their arrogance is coupled with ignorance. There's some blanks here. You get in the blanks so far, young people? You get enough? Okay. Now, it doesn't mean they don't know what two plus two is when it says knowing nothing. It says they are proud knowing nothing. It doesn't mean they don't know that this is the United States. I mean, they obviously know certain things. But when it comes to... I'm afraid to move now. Okay. I was not electrocuted, though. I'm still alive. I told the Lord, Lord, anytime you want to take me home, that would not be a bad way to go, just getting electrocuted while I'm preaching. Okay. They know nothing. They know nothing about how things truly work. They don't have an understanding. I'm going to give you an example. Somebody comes along and says, Abortion! That's a woman's right to choose. And they tell you with such dogmatic certainty and with an air of proud superiority. But they don't understand how things work. Because they say, well, it's a woman's right to choose to do with her own body, but they don't understand that. Conception happens when a man and a woman come together and that child, that life is conceived and life begins there. And that life is not the woman's body. That life is in the woman's body. This is science. The life is in the woman's body and grows in the woman's body. And that's how God has planned it. But that life is going to come out of the woman's body. I mean, we all know that. People today are saying it's health care to help a teenage boy or girl who has gender dysphoria and then mutilate their bodies. And they do it with superiority, a sense of proud and ignorance. They know nothing what they're doing. They're arrogant, they're ignorant, and then there's a word here in our King James in Unless you really look at it, you, you, you will definitely miss it because the King James word is doting. It says in verse number 4, you see that? He's proud knowing nothing but doting. And that is another health word. And it's, it speaks of a, of a sick fixation on something. It is a sick sense or a disturbing fondness or obsession over their agenda. They want to fulfill their agenda, so they have this sick obsession about it. Doesn't that... That resonates with me what's going on today. A diseased way of thinking. A morbid fondness. Morbid. Speaking of talking about subjects to young people that they should not be speaking about is morbid. And that's what they're doing in our schools today. And they are really seeking to twist and indoctrinate our young people. And I believe there's a very evil goal they have in mind. 
So there's a sick obsession. So what are the consequences of this? The consequences of this, and there are five, and I, I'm not going to take a long time here, but the, the consequences of this in verse number 4 and 5, where it says they're doting about questions. And it's not wrong to have a question, by the way. Question, we all have questions. If you have questions, I love to try to answer them. If, I, if, I, if you ask me a question and I don't know the answer, I'll try to find the best answer possible. But the idea here is questions to which there are really no answers and questions only to create and stir up controversy and conflict. It says, doting, obsessed about those questions and, and strifes of words, literally warfare with words. They are, they're going to war with our young people with their words. This is why we need to know the words of Jesus Christ. Because if you know the truth, the truth will what? Set you free. The consequences of this then, Paul says, there are five going down to verse number four at the end. He says, whereof from this, from their arrogant, ignorant, sick, obsessionly teachings come these five things. One, the first one is envy. Envy is when you feel a sorrow over what others have and you don't. That's what their teachings want to create. And that's what's going on today with our young people. They're trying to create an envy if someone is not something to want to be that even though they're not that. If they're a boy, you should envy that girl and now you can, yeah, you can become that girl. You can be a girl. No, you can't. Someone who's born a a male is born a male by God. And God creates us. And we don't choose. That's the Bible. That's the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? I mean, it is so foundational that God created male and female in His own image. And Adam didn't rise up and say, God, you got it wrong. I should be Eve. And Eve didn't say, oh, I should be... No. They were contented where they were. There was no envy. Envy is a declaration of inferiority. Envy is when you feel sorry that you don't have what others have. In Dante's Purgatory, the envious sit with their eyelids sewn shut like blind beggars. That's what envy will do. You will sew your eyelids shut and it will be like you're a blind beggar, blind and lost in your own selfish world. Envy. Envy is a sickness with jealousy. A constant craving for possessions or a position or to be someone or something that others have and you want. Envy drives a lot of the politics of our day. Somebody has said envy is a thousand times worse than hunger because it is a spiritual hunger. See, the envious man is deceived. The envious man thinks if that person can run faster than me and I want to be able to run fast like that guy, if I break his legs, I can run faster. But if somebody can run faster than me and beat me in a race, 
Can I run faster if I break his legs? I'm not going to run any faster. Envy is drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. You only kill yourself through envy. A sorrow, a continuous conflict, strife, envy, strife, continuous conflict. This word is actually used for a goddess in that culture. The original language word, Eris, was a Greek goddess of discord and strife, envy, striving, strife, and then railings. Railings are abusive Insults, abusive speech, malicious talk, a sick desire to insult and abuse others. (laughs) Just go on social media for five minutes, right? I mean, there's so much insult. Listen, if we disagree with somebody, and we will disagree with what's going on in our culture, we need to show Christ-like love, patience. Be firm, but be friendly. Be strong, but be kind. Stand on the Word of God. This is what the Bible says. And this is what I believe. And this is what I'm going to hold on to. And according to them, they have to respect your views as much as you would respect theirs. But let's not be abusive toward people. The word here is blasphemy. Injurious speech that slanders and hurts other people. And then the next word is Evil surmisings. Evil surmisings just speaks really about a thinking in your mind, the way you think, and you think in a wicked kind of way toward other people with suspicion, questioning their motives. And this is the, this is the tactic. This is what they do. This is the tactic of the enemy. And then what it results in. In other words, the false teaching goes out there And the false teaching is to come against Christianity. The false teaching is to come against people who believe the Bible. And then through this false teaching, they will attack us of having evil motives. And many people will mock the motives of Christians. Now, sad to say, many Christians, we don't live up to what we should be living up to. And we open the door for criticism. We open the, uh, the door for a lot of attack. But if we're living Christ, if we're truly sincere and true to the Word of God, and we're being faithful to the Lord, and our motives are pure, they still will, may, may attack our motive. But I love what Paul said, I have coveted no man's silver. And that should be the motive of God's people. We're not in it for ourselves. We're in it for the glory of God. That's our motive, the glory of God and the good of man. But this teaching, this proud, arrogant, sickly, obsessed teaching, the consequences of it is it creates strife and envy and insults and suspicions in, in you. This is how they'll look at you. With evil suspicions, they will, they will have evil thoughts toward you. Oh, you're one of those Christians. Oh, I, I, my teacher told me about Christians. And they're, they're bigots. And they're intolerant. And, you know, all the other names that they could attach. And bitter disputings. 
We get our word diatribe. Have you ever heard of that word diatribe? Literally, it comes out of that Greek word where it says perverse disputing, sick with constant bitter attacks. So these are some of the consequences. Sorrow and envy over what other people have, continuous conflict, strife, abusive insults, railings, wicked suspicions, evil surmisings, and bitter disputings, perverse disputings. So now, I want us to thirdly look at the corruption of these false teachers. And Paul describes their corruption as, as made by a firm decision. They made this firm decision and now they're living it out into the present. He kind of uses a tense here where if I would say to you, I am married. I am married. What does that mean? That I got married in the past and I'm still what? I'm still married in the present. So... So that, that's the kind of tense he uses here. Now, I, I am married, and I was married in 1981, and I'm still married. So when Paul says these next three things, that's, and, and, and some of these other words as well, it's kind of like they made a decision in the past. Like, I made a decision to get married, and now I've, I've remained married. They made this decision to be proud and not understand how things work and, and to be sick in their obsession and then the consequences of that teaching in verse 4 and 5, and now you go down to, into the middle of verse 5, and I know there's a lot of words here, and there's some big words, but we should really just take a moment and think about it where he says, they're corrupt minds, and they're destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. So these three things. The first thing is their minds is what? What does it say about their mind? What is their mind? What's the problem with their mind? It's what? Corrupt. And I have a picture of a... If you're going to eat a piece of fruit, does that look good? Now, we love fruit. I love a juicy peach. I tell you about, oh, it's, maybe I get a peach this summer. I remember when I was in Greece, they had peaches the size of grapefruits. And, and not because they were non-organic. They were organic. I mean, they were just huge. And I would eat that peach. It would drip down my throat. My oh, I would like, I would love that peach so much. Now we have some. We don't have peaches. We do have mangoes after the service. Some nice, not corrupt, not rotten mangoes. But, but on the other hand, if you gave me a peach and I gave it to it and it was dry, I, I, I hate. There's nothing I hate more than a than an unripe. You know, you ever like look at a peach and it looked really good from the outside even? You say, oh, this is going to be delicious. And you bite into it and it's like dark and discolored on the inside. Did that's happened to you? Oh, man. Disappointment. But we don't want to be that kind of person. We, wanna, we, want, we don't want to be corrupt on the inside and look good on the outside. Their minds are corrupt, it says. Corrupt minds and their message is destitute of the truth. Literally, the truth has been robbed from them, but willingly. They have let themselves be robbed of the truth because they didn't want it. They let the truth be robbed from them because they wanted their false teaching. And you know what their motive is? It says, supposing that gain... They have a false supposition 
they suppose that gain is godliness. And that's then and now, that's like the highest motive of unsaved man is what? Follow the follow the money. It's all about money. So this world will will rob you blind. That's you. Oh, it's not working, man. Oh, there it goes. Oh, yeah. And that's the false teacher. They want what you have. Now it's just going to keep going on. Okay, you saw it. Now, now you're going to get bored with it. So, okay, so I entertain you with that. So, so um, I, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have done that. So, sorry. Oh, what's this? Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't even know. How did that get there? That's the false teacher bribing you. Not with candy. With money, stuff. Material prosperity is the religion of these false teachers. I'm sorry, I, I just couldn't stop once I got started. <laughs> well, it's Youth Sunday. I'm trying to. It's like halfway, maybe a little halfway, more than halfway through the message. I didn't want to lose you. Our system wants to get young people wrapped up into the medical confusion of gender transitioning and you will become a lifelong patient of them. And they will get millions of dollars from you for you to change your God-given Sex. It's about money. And I could go on and on even about what we've gone through with COVID, but I don't want to make any enemies. But I will just say this. I'll just say this. Don't get mad at me. I'll just try to keep it a fact. Do you know that the CEO of Moderna made like... What did I see? I saw it yesterday. $400 million? which is like so much more that they were making before COVID. Now, you could just take that for what it is, but there's a lot of money at stake in all these things that's going on in our world today. And we need Jesus Christ. We really do need Jesus. Because this world, their, their gain is gold. They, they, notice that it says, supposing that gain is godliness. If they... They, if they want, they may use God to get gain. Some false teachers do that, the prosperity. I, I was thinking about doing a whole message on just prosperity gospel, but I think there's something bigger at play here. But prosperity uh, gospel preachers, it's a false gospel. It's not even the gospel. That if you come to Jesus, you'll have health and wealth. And then they, they basically want you to give to them so that they can buy their own private jets and their yachts and their mansions. And this is wicked. And they think, oh, God has blessed me. Gain is godliness. No, God hasn't blessed you. You rip people off through deceit. Any preacher whose motive and the reason he's doing it is money is not qualified to be a pastor or a a preacher. That's what Paul told Timothy right here. Not greedy of filthy lucre. 
Peter said it in 1 Peter chapter 5. Where he says in chapter 5 of 1 Peter, not for filthy lucre, but willingly of a ready mind. We have to really be wise in this day. And as I said earlier, you're going to be in the minority. You're going to have to stand alone sometime. So let's look finally. Oh, not finally. Almost. Oh, I, I found one more. I couldn't. Yeah. That's what they want to do with your money. They want to take it. They want to disappear it from you. Although probably Keanu Reeves is doing all right. Okay, that's enough of that. Seriously. Okay. I want to look at the cure from these false teachings. At the end of verse 5, what is the last phrase of verse 5? 1 Timothy chapter 6. What does the last phrase say there in verse 5? What does Paul say? From such do what? Withdraw yourself. So you have to withdraw yourself. Maybe you're going to have to withdraw yourself from that school that you're going to go to. If they're going to teach all of this wicked doctrines of men, withdraw, withdraw yourself from false teachers or false teachings or churches that embrace this. Withdraw yourself out of those churches. Be in a church that believes the Bible is the Word of God. Withdraw yourself. And by the way, Paul says in chapter 4, if we can remember that, where he says that the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some will depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. What's going on today and these things we've been talking about, this transgenderism and even the whole alphabet of the LGBTQ, we love these people, but they're, they're ensnared in sin. They're ensnared by the devil. This is, they've been taken captive. It even says it in 2 Timothy chapter 2. They've been taken captive by the devil. And they're now teaching doctrines of demons. And this was going on in the church. You know, you could go to a church right around here and be taught the doctrines of demons in something that says it's a church outside. And So we all have to know the Bible. You are responsible to know the truth. So you'll know what kind of a church to go to and, and be a part of. So he says... Withdraw yourself. Depart from those who have departed from the faith. Be separate from these false teachings. And then, seek godly contentment through Christ. And this is really Paul's emphasis for the deliverance from these false teachings. The deliverance from these false teachings are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ which will lead us to true doctrine and, a, and godliness. And then we exercise ourselves unto that godliness. Chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Exercise yourself into that godliness by being faithful in church, by being faithful in the Word, by being faithful in prayer. And you exercise yourself into godliness. And Christ-like godliness will give you contentment. The message of Jesus Christ is not envy and strife and bitterness and conflict. The message of Jesus Christ is you can be content. 
You can rest. You can have peace, love, and joy in Jesus Christ. Contentment is the opposite of all those consequences we looked at earlier, beginning with envy at the top. Christ-like godliness with contentment will give you the grace to live a life of peace in the right perspective. He says godliness with contentment is great gain. Gain is not godliness, in other words. The motive for this life is not money for the Christian. The motive is Christ. To know Him. To glorify Him. And find my peace in Him. Content in Him. You're going to be different from the world living like this, right? I'm telling you. But this is what God's Word says. And that's what Paul was saying in Philippians chapter 4 when he said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You know, that's one of the most famous New Testament verses, wouldn't you say? The context of that, he's not talking about I could, I could fly if I jump off the Empire State Building. He's not saying that. He's saying, I can be content in whatever circumstances I am found, even in prison. And that's what young people need today. Contentment in Jesus Christ. That's what we all need. We need that contentment through Jesus. You see, we're not trying or wanting to be somebody else. We're, we're, we're wanting and seeking to be like who? Jesus Christ. We don't want to be somebody else. Okay, go to Galatians chapter 5, please. And we read the Scripture. As you, as you turn there, here's the idea of contentment. Actually, contentment was a word that was used by the philosophers of Paul's day. And he, he grabbed that word and he applied it to our Christian life. The word contentment itself, it was a well-known word in Paul's day. And it simply meant this. Sufficient in oneself. Sufficient in oneself. Independent of your external circumstances. So the philosophers taught contentment that you had to have a sense of sufficiency in yourself. But Paul said, no, not as a Christian. I I don't have sufficiency in myself. My sufficiency is where? In who? In Christ. And with Christ, I can have that contentment. I can find that sufficiency within myself when I have Jesus in my heart. That's so contentment that... Christians long for that Jesus Christ is more than enough. And it is great profit to know Jesus and to fellowship with Jesus. And if I'm a prisoner for Jesus, then I'm not going to envy you who have freedom. Now look at Galatians 5. And lo and behold, I told you the wrong verse. It's Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. So just think about this. Think about it in the context of today where people are identifying as all kinds of things that they are not. So think about this verse, Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now what is Paul saying there? 
Is he saying that a slave is no longer a slave? No, that's not what he's saying because he told the slaves to obey their masters. What he's saying to the slaves is, in God's sight, you are equal to the one who's free. And he's talking to the, to the males, to the men. Is he saying to the men, you're not really a man, so you can be what, choose what you want? That's not what he's saying. He's saying there's no difference between a male or a female in God's sight. He created male and female equally in his image, and both male and female have equal standing before God. Both male and female come to Jesus Christ the very same way. And the same thing with Jew or Gentile. There were, there, there were Jews. Paul even said, there's Jews, there's Gentiles. Many times he made those distinctions. Paul's not saying that, there's, there's, that ethnicity is totally broken down once you're a Christian. Listen, our brother is going to go to Puerto Rico tomorrow because that's his ethnicity. And some of you have different ethnic backgrounds. And there's nothing wrong with having a sense of gratefulness for your ethnic background and being thankful for your heritage. God made us that way. He, you were born in a family. You were born uh, through, with a heritage, with an ethnicity. And, and we could all say, thank God I came into the world through that, you know? But what Paul is saying, he is saying here that the slave should not want to be the free man. And the Jew should not try to identify as a Gentile because I don't like how people look at the Jews, so I want to identify as a... Or the Gentiles, like, oh, those Jews, they get privileges, uh, so I, I want to identify as a Jew. No, if you're a Gentile, you're a Gentile. You can't be Jewish as far as ethnic background goes. And the same thing with male and female. A male should not want to try to be anything other than what he is. Be a man. We need men to be men today. We need our women to be women. If we don't have men to be men and women to be women, we cannot survive. That's natural law. You know, because like, you know, first love comes love, then comes marriage, then comes what? A baby in the baby carriage. Then you have another generation. If you don't have a man being a man, falling in love with a woman and, and coming together and having conception and having a family, you don't have society. This is the lie they're telling us today. So look what Paul tells Timothy, and I'm almost done. He says, we brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. You think Paul made that up? You know what Job said? Naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return. That was the first book written. And if you go to Ecclesiastes, actually, go to Ecclesiastes. This is really so beautifully written. If you go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, you'll find so much wisdom in, that, in this section here about what Paul is commenting on, how we came with nothing into this world and we're going to leave it. And it just shows the temporary nature. Paul's emphasizing the temporary nature of life, the brevity of life, and that we will enter eternity. We came into the world with nothing and we will leave the world. We're going to leave this world but live somewhere else. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 15 and 16 
and he says, As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. Now, this was written you know, by Solomon 2,500 years ago. And has it changed? Has, has man devised a way to take with him out of this world into the next his riches? Have, have we figured that one out? <laughs> Not with all, now, Jeff Bezos is trying to figure it out. You know, through artificial intelligence and all, I won't go into that, but they're trying to figure out how to, how to uh, lengthen life or how to, to live with all their stuff longer. How to beat death. You cannot beat death. It is appointed unto man once to die. And then the judgment. But look what he says. Keep going. He says, Take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hand. And then he says in verse 16, This also is a sore evil. You know, it hurts to have to work so hard and get all that stuff and you can't, leave, you can't take it with you. He says, This is a sore evil that in all points as he came, so shall he go. What profit hath he that, that labored for the wind? That's an amazing standpoint. That's an amazing... This is, a, this is an amazing world when you think about it. We have to live with this perspective and it will help us to be content that life is temporary. We will enter eternity. And think about how you entered the world. The two most momentous moments... The two most momentous moments of your life. When you entered the world and when you leave, you have what? Nothing. When you were born, let me ask you, did you have on Adidas sneakers saying, Mommy, Mommy, and you were crying because you wanted Nikes? Was that why you were crying? Or when you were born, you were like, and you were holding your Android phone and says, I want an iPhone, you know? You were not crying because you had the wrong phone in your hand when you were born. You were naked, man. You had nothing. You didn't have little, you didn't even have little tootsie socks on your feet. And you were crying. You know what you were crying for? You were crying for love. You were crying for comfort. You were crying for affection. You were crying for a drop of milk from your mother's breast. And you were crying for some warmth. And when you got that love, and you got that milk, and they wrapped you up tight in that blankie, you stopped crying. You were content. And that's what we need when we die. We need the love, the affection, the grace, the glory of Jesus Christ. And you need to know that you're His. You need to know that you're born again. You need to know that if you were to die from this world, you will enter the presence of Jesus Christ, not through your works, because none of us are, can be saved by our works. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's only one way to be saved, and that's through the work of Jesus Christ, who died on the He did all the work needed to be done to save us. You say, well, what do I have to do? Put your faith and trust in Him. Believe in Him. Receive His grace, and His grace will then give you a new desire to live for His glory. having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Live with simplicity because life is temporary. Because we're going to enter eternity. Let's live with simplicity now. Content in Jesus Christ. Let's stand together as we pray.
our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you could please close your eyes. I want to say hold on to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hold on to the doctrines in the Bible. They originated with God. They're written in Scripture. They're forever settled in heaven. They're centered in Jesus Christ. The doctrine of God is consistent and true to the whole of Scripture. It will help you to be spiritually healthy and it will result in a godly life. And Paul said, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. So Lord, we would not come to You unless You first came to us. Thank You, Jesus Christ, that You came to us through the virgin's womb. We would not and could not even love You unless You first loved us and You showed us how to love by dying on the cross for our sins. And we would not know, therefore, Lord, how to come to You or how to love You, but You have taught us how to come to You as You came into the world lowly and humble. We come to You lowly and humble, Lord, knowing we are sinners, but yet You'd say we can come boldly when we come in the name of Jesus Christ, that we have a sure access to You, O God, even though we're not worthy. But thank You, Jesus, that You have opened a door for us to enter into heaven's portals and into the presence of, oh, our Heavenly Father. Thank You, Heavenly Father. Thank You, Heavenly Father, for Your love. Thank You for sending Your Son. And we just pray a special blessing on our young people today that in the name of Jesus, by the power of Your death on the cross, by the power of Your blood to cleanse them and forgive them, by the power of Your resurrection and Your Holy Spirit to fill them, that You would use them and help them to be strong and help them to live and to learn and to love the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our prayer today, O Lord. Bless our young people. Bless all of us. How many would say, Pastor Matt, that's my desire today to learn the words of Jesus, to love the words of Jesus, to live the words of Jesus. Can I see your hand? Just put it up and say, Lord, help me. Strengthen me, Lord. Give me eyes to see You and keep me delivered from the false teachings of this old system of the world that we're living in. We're not to love the world. We're not to be conformed to it, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Help us, Lord, to have our minds renewed daily by the Word of God. There's hands up everywhere. Thank thank the Lord. Just say hallelujah. Thank You, Lord, for Your love. I praise You. We praise You, Lord Jesus. So give Him thanks and give Him praise. And you can put your hands down. How many would say, is there anyone here who'd say today, Pastor Matt, I'm not sure I'm saved. If I were to die today, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. But I would like to know, could you pray for me? Is there anyone like that? I would just like to pray for you if there's anyone say, but Pastor Matt, just pray for me. I don't know how long I have. None of us do. We need to make sure we're on our way to heaven through Christ. I'm not asking you to join this church. I'm not asking you to be religious. I'm asking, would you like to know Jesus Christ that you could have eternal life? Is there anyone? Can I see your hand? So now, Lord, continue to bless us today and work mightily, we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.